Chelsea, we were talking about Pablo Escobar's hippos a while ago. I can't remember what episode it was. It was a while ago, and it was an opener, so I generally don't keep track of what episode openers we're on. Until, like, the very end of December. Not even. <laughs> Maybe no, the one yeah, we just enough. did. <laughs> yeah. I have an article out of the India Express. This is posted on March 3rd, 2023, and it's by the Associated Press out of Bogota. Okay. It's titled, Hippos Living Near Pablo Escobar's Former Columbia Ranch May Be Shipped to India. So they may have found a home. Oh, what a twist. Okay. Columbia is proposing transferring at least 70 hippopotamuses, which I really feel like it should be hippopotami, but I assume they have it right. And that is a lot of hippopotami. Hippopotamuses? Hippopotam. like that one. Hippopotams, yes. <laughs> I just realized I need to look up where this word comes from because whoever named this fucking thing was way too fancy. Hippopotamuses. You don't think it was our old buddy capability, was it? Oh no, no chance in hell. He was no, all he's about far too capable. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. He didn't give a fuck about hippos. <laughs> Anyhow, while well, you look that up, for how dangerous they are. <laughs> You should not have to say, there's a hippopotamus coming. <laughs> like, if there's a moose running at you, super easy. It's a moose. I didn't know that about mooses. It's super easy to say. Hippopotamus? Or if it's oh, a pack right. of them. You're right. It's dangerous if you're taking so much time to figure out how to save a Or, you know, in a panic, so you're, you've got a tongue twister And you twister better going have on. that word down at that point. Yeah. <laughs> you're fucked if you can't pronounce it. Anyhow, sorry. Columbia is proposing transferring at least 70 hippopotamuses that live near Pablo Escobar's former ranch, descendants of four imported from Africa illegally by the late drug lord in the 1980s, to India and Mexico as part of a plan to control their population. The hippos, which are territorial and weigh up to three tons, have spread far beyond the Hacienda Nepal's ranch, located 200 kilometers from Bogota along the Magdalena River. Environmental authorities estimate that about 130 hippos in the area in Antioquia Antioquia, I, I can, Antioquia province and their population could reach 408 years. Escobar's Hacienda Napoles and the hippos have become a sort of local tourist attraction in the years since the kingpin was killed by police in 1993. When his ranch was abandoned, the hippos survived and reproduced in local rivers in favorable climatic conditions. Scientists warn the hippos do not have a natural predator in Colombia and are a potential problem for biodiversity since their feces change the composition of the river and could impact the habitat of manatees and capybaras. Last year, Colombia's government declared them a toxic invasive species. And the plan to take them to India and Mexico has been forming for more than a year, said Lina Marcela de los de los Rios Morales. Well, that's quite the name. I just kept thinking it was ending and it was not. <laughs> Director of Animal Protection and Welfare at Antioquia's Environmental Ministry. The hippos would be lured with food into large iron containers and transferred by truck to the international airport in the city of Rio Negro, 150 kilometers away. From there, they would be flown to India and Mexico, where there are sanctuaries and zoos capable of taking care of these animals. This is possible to do. We already have experience relocating hippos in zoos nationwide. I said this guy, but the names are so long, I'm just going to forget that it's a name halfway through, so we're going to skip it. He is a spokesman for Cornaric the local environmental authority that would be in charge of the relocation. The plan is to send 60 hippos to the Green Zoological Resource and Rehabilitation Kingdom in Guajarat, India, which one of these people said would cover the cost of the container and airlift. Another 10 hippos would go to zoos and sanctuaries in Mexico, such as Ostok, located in Sinaloa, Sinaloa, 
maybe, I don't know. We work with Ernesto Zazueta, which is a very perfectly reasonably length name, who is the president of sanctuaries and zoos in Mexico, who is the one who liaisons with different countries and manages their rescues, said the official. And the plan is to focus on the hippos living in the rivers surrounding the Hacienda Naples ranch, not the ones inside the ranch, because they are in a controlled environment and don't threaten the local ecosystem. The relocation would help control the hippo population, and though the native habitat is Africa, it is more humane than the alternative proposal of extermination as an invasive species. Ecuador, the Philippines, and Botswana have all expressed their willingness to relocate Colombian hippos to their countries, according to Antiqua's governor's office. So yeah, that's the update. So they're they're trying a new thing. With I have that. so many questions about this. I have minimal answers. Better than trying to track down the hippos testicles. <laughs> Because it's proven very hard. It's, it's impossible. to ship them all around the world. <laughs> but I love that it's such a problem for Colombia right now. And all these under- other countries are like, oh, we'll take them. You got hippos? Yeah. <laughs> we'll take those hippos. Yeah, I don't know. Is it a monkey paw situation where it's like, no, you just, you wish you had hippos. You don't actually want hippos. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, it's one of those situations. You just can't like... locate those testicles. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the mysticism of the hippo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so as always, I guess we're going to keep an eye on these hippos and, and get into this episode. From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, where real-life Elmo sightings get the treatment they deserve, should they ever occur. Chelsea, does does that happen to be the topic today? Um, No, does not. But it's on the list now. Well, we are your ever-ready podcast hosts, Taylor and Chelsea, and today, Chelsea has an episode on some fancy-suited individuals, I believe. Almost. You guessed it, damn it. Okay. You did tell me prep beforehand, so. <laughs> yes, I did. You knew it was an Elmo's. You set me up. I wish right now we had the copyright to the Men in Black song so that it could gently bring us into this episode. It, that would have been so cool. But alas, here we are. Less <laughs> cool than if we had the actual Men in Black song. So here's one which I think it's about time we got around to. Men in Black, MIB, Will Smith probably being the most famous of MIBs. Am I right in saying that? I don't know any of their other names. Nope. <laughs> have to just agree with myself on that one. Today we're going to delve into some fun facts, sightings, and other stuff maybe. Let's see what I put together for you today as we go through this, like all my episodes. Who and what are the men in black? The men in black is a term used to describe mysterious men working for unknown organizations. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm calling bullshit. That seems like a massive assumption because I do not believe anyone has actually confirmed that these men in black are actually being paid. No, nor have they confirmed who actually employs them. They don't necessarily work for pay per se, but Exactly, so we can't say that they're employed for anyone. Working for unknown organizations. These fucking homeless people are terrorizing the country. Yeah, they could be. You never know. It's just a gross misunderstanding of the men in black. It could be slaves. I don't know. And they always say at the end of their visit that they would go for just 20 bucks. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then they get the 20 bucks and then they just hop on the train and move on to the next town. Nobody ever gives it to them, though, from what I imagine. No, true. Or from what I've heard. Yeah. Sometimes they present a white card with the word security on it, but that proves nothing, I would think. Other, I mean, I could write a security on a card and present it, but it doesn't mean shit. They've also been cited in Canada, United States, Australia, and New Zealand. Maybe more. When I search, those are the ones that come up. So I can't confirm if they have been cited in other countries or not. They probably have. I just missed writing that one down. Way ahead of you, Taylor. Yes, there are WIB. Women in Black, but they're limited edition. Very rare. So if you're ever visited by a woman in black, a lottery ticket. Luck is on your side that day. Or not. Anyway, they usually have one main purpose. They threaten and scare people to muzzle witnesses of strange paranormal phenomena, mostly UFO-oriented, and are often very threatening, as I kind of... Yep, I already said threaten. And they warn people to give up their research into UFOs or not to speak about a sighting they had about a UFO. I just want to check at this point. Is it always UFO related? Yes. From all the ones that I've seen, at least. Have you seen other ones? No, I was just curious if it was ever with regards to cryptids or just specifically oh, alien wait, sightings it, without UFOs. I don't have, yeah, you bring up a good point. I don't have, yes, I do. Actually, I do talk about it. It is in relation to cryptids as well. Because all my like real life sightings I have in this are UFO related. I do have a few just one-off mentions that are cryptid related, which um, there is a famous one that I'll get to that I'll go through. So I just about misspoke there. Yeah. And also I do know of probably bleep out his name at this point, but the sighting isn't particularly about a UFO per se. Kind of is. Kind of. It's kind of. And also it's only kind of a sighting because it's not actually one he's <laughs> involved true. in. And we're going to talk about that one as well. So yeah. yes and no. I mean, some of the cryptid sightings that we'll talk about have been sighting in conjunction with UFOs. Not all the time, but it's kind of a gray area, I would say. I'm going to leave it at that. And then we can just go through this. So they almost always appear unannounced. Almost always. Again, all of these are just kind of <laughs> they send some people formal invitations. No, sometimes they do. You'll see. <laughs> As with everything we do with cryptids and paranormal stuff, it's kind of like what are the majority of things, but there's always outliers, of course. The MIB even go as far as appearing out of nowhere. Yeah, materializing, right? Materializing, that's the freaking word I'm looking for. Fucking words. Or disappearing right in front of your eyes. They almost always wear black suits and hats with dark sunglasses. And I say almost always, but it is always that they're wearing black All suits. the ones they that you are really... going to be cataloging, yes. Yeah, they've never really shown up in like a pair of Bermuda shorts. Yeah, they got called in from vacation really quick. Yeah. <laughs> They're described as being incredibly tall, drive outdated black cars, and arrive in groups of two or three, and have been overheard referring to each other by numbers instead of names. That matches the movie, like, specifically. Oh yeah, it does. I also believe that the reason that you say almost always unannounced, I fully believe after that movie came out, those cars are always blasting Will Smith's Men in Black rap, <laughs> yeah. just as loud as possible, which technically counts as an announcement. For they say, here come the Men in Black. 
I know. I mean, if there is a song with my name in it, I'd probably always be blasting that wherever I was expected or not expected as well. It's just my theme song. Never get into clandestine activities, Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) I try my hardest. They're also described as being cold and emotionless or often behaving strangely. Some may say not even fully human behaved. And witnesses have reported supernatural features like glowing eyes, strange complexions, blank faces, shaved heads, no eyebrows, monotone voice, pale skin. Some witnesses even report the smell of sulfur present with their interactions with the men in black. I don't believe I actually talk about one, but it's in there. Okay. Just be just be aware of that. I mean, they could- could just because they lack social cues they could be passing gas around everyone (laughs) and in everyone's defense i mean i feel like sometimes i don't even act fully human just be gentle on your judgments if you come across a men in black they may be having a tough day chelsea correct me if i'm wrong john keel's the first person to talk about these guys right yes you're bringing up everything that i'm gonna talk about in my episode okay okay We'll get to it. I know a vaguely <laughs> lot about yeah. Do you want to bring up anything else that's going to be in this episode? Have we ever confirmed that the men in black each individually look different? Or could it be just a man in black? It could. It could be a clone. Well, Where? I just mean one guy that's going around doing all this shit. Well, he there he's always with people. Oh, true. So you could be having double vision maybe every time you see this guy. Thank you for actually looking into that woman in black. Do they ever commingle? Would it ever be a group of both men and women in black? I don't know. I would assume so because it's so rare to see one. Like you would assume that they separate? No, you would see them together. Okay. Because like you'd be really lucky to see three women in black at once. Yeah, but maybe she just like operates alone and she's the outlier. She could be. Like I said, these are not all rules. to some of them are exceptions so it very well could be just like them having jobs we could be making a a really big assumption here okay so also some really strange things they do some witness accounts report being questioned about microwaves being in their presence if it's on to turn it off if there is one in the house when they're around they try to drink jello now this one i'm a little bit curious on as to how this came up naturally yeah, just to be fair, what I am envisioning is somebody offered them up cups of jello, and the clearly awkward man in black who did this didn't see the spoons and didn't want to seem rude. So just like slurped it back. We've all done like jello shots are a thing. Yeah, they are. I'm picturing it's dessert time with the family, and because they show up unannounced, they didn't know it was dessert time and they were having jello so of course they get offered jello they just didn't know what to do with it so they drank it or did they specifically request the jello and then try to drink it because they're like that's can i offer you anything to drink yes jello that would truly be the bizarre thing that they prefer to drink jello and that is their beverage of choice yeah, it's kind of like actually in the Men in Black movie where the guy asks for sugar water and they think that's weird. Yeah, but it's jello. Like in real life, it's jello, not sugar water. And actually, no, if you asked for that too, it wouldn't have settled by the time they brought it to you. So you could drink it. Oh, that's true. You'd have to be pre prepared for the Men in Black visiting. Now, that is a lesson to keep in mind. Always never have jello prepared. <laughs> Because everyone knows Jello is their drink of choice. <laughs> Men in Black love Jello. <laughs> so 
said Dillo. They love to drink it. Okay. They also do not know what a ballpoint pen is. It's come up. Again, same question as the Jello. How in the hell did that come up? Like, do they know how other types of pen works? Like feather I can't ink? explain a ballpoint pen. No. Why is there not a quill in your hand? And were they like, can I borrow a pen? And someone was like, sure, here's a ballpoint. And they're like, what the fuck's a ah. ballpoint pen? Yeah. <laughs> I can't touch that. <laughs> it is unclean. <laughs> like fucking garlic to a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Eat that, but I'll take some jello. Okay, so those are some things about the men in black for you to note. Let's start with, well, not really start because I already started. Let's move on to the men in black origin story. Love a good origin story. June 27, 1947 to a man, a boy, and a dog. That's what I'm going to call this story. Harold Dahl, the man, um, he does get a name. He was on a conservation mission in the Puget Sound near the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island. If that sounds familiar. Ooh, we could do a research expedition. It's not that far away. We could. It's come up recently in a recent episode as well, if that sounds familiar to you, in our foot episode. Same area. This man does have both of his feet, oh, as far as we know. For now. Does it come up? For now. His feet literally never come up in this story, so... He could have showed up in a previous episode about feet. He could have been his. So the man was gathering logs when he saw six donut-shaped obstacles. Weird way to put it. Ob- objects? Obstacles. I-, I do know how to read that word. I'm identifying it almost perfectly. Okay. He said obstacles. In which he probably does mean objects, hovering about half a mile above his boat. Before long, one of them fell nearly 1,500 feet, Wait, followed by... Yeah. He's gathering logs with his boat? Yeah. Okay. Like a beachcomber. I, okay. I didn't question it, but it could have been... There's a lot of logging in this area, in which they keep logs in the... There was that famous show that our parents used to watch, Beachcombers in Canada. I, I thought that was what that show was all about, like... Grabbing arid logs or something. I I don't know. I never watched the show. Okay, I okay. I've never even heard of it. But yeah, they do keep logs in rivers for like paper mills and stuff like that because there's so much logging. For stuff. Don't worry about it. I'd rather put it that way, actually, because I don't fucking know. Okay, so one of them falls down, raining metallic debris, some of which hits Doll's son, the boy, on the arm, as well as the family dog. Dog. Unfortunately, he didn't survive the ordeal, the dog. Dahl was able to take some pictures of the aircraft with his camera, which he later showed to his supervisor, Fred Chrisman. (laughs) This sounds like someone wasn't being very creative on that last name. Somebody's making up names, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And somebody's also not capable in their jobs, or they would have nicknamed him such. Uh, skeptical Chrisman went back to the scene to look for himself and saw a strange aircraft with his own eyes, which is weird. You wouldn't think it would still be there. The following morning, Dahl was visited by a man in a black suit. They ended up at a local diner where the man was able to recount in extraordinary detail what Dahl had just experienced. Well, what I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. The man said drinking a cup of... I can't even get it out. The man said drinking a cup of jello. <laughs> that was too easy. Doll was told not to speak of the incident. If he did, bad things would happen. The supposed events of Maury Island have continued to fuel conspiracy theories to this day. 
even though a U.S. government investigation deemed it a hoax. Take what you will from the government saying it's a hoax. But Dolan Crimson did later admit as much. So there's that. Remember when NASA said like, no, we're going to debunk all this stuff. And they're like, oh, wait. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't spend money on that because that will just feed everything. <laughs> yeah. Just avoid. Yeah. So this was spread to a much larger audience as it was published in a book by Gray Barker titled, quote, they knew too much about flying saucers, end quote. I have to admit, it's a little disappointed. Needs a better name. Well, it does need a better name, but I was disappointed by the origin story. But I feel like I'm let down by a lot of things we do in episodes on this podcast. I'm sad a dog had to die for this story. I know, but since it's a hoax, I'm hoping the dog is alive. Or maybe there just wasn't a dog. That would be the best thing. I yeah, think. I don't want the dog not to exist. Okay, so dog didn't die. And I feel bad for the dog still. <laughs> maybe still that was alive. the hoax that the dog, dog is, is still alive, alive 80 years later. <laughs> Best story ever. We fixed it. So our new tagline for Journey to the Fringe should be, just like we came up with better ones on the lawn episode, this one's going to be, you're going to be let down. Thanks for listening. So that's the origin story, the disappointing origin story of the Men in Black. Let's get into a few little tidbits and sightings that Taylor already ruined for us. And I would just like to say, at this point, it's only Man in Black, is it not? Yes. The made-up man was a Man in Black, yes. So, Men in Black have famously been cited in conjunction with the Mothman sightings. Thanks, John Keel. The Dover Demon sightings. I don't know. We haven't done the Dover Demon, have we? It's familiar, but I don't think we've done an episode I don't think it. we have either, because I'm not sure that I know what that is, and I feel like if we did it, we would know. Yeah. More specifically. So I feel like we're going to have to do that. Okay. Well, it's going on the list. It'll get there eventually. There have also been reports of Bigfoot researchers who had hair samples confiscated by two men in dark suits driving a black sedan. That sounds awfully specific for it to be more than one. Well, it could be anybody. Yeah. Dark suits? They need to be black. Come on. <laughs> You never know. The lighting could have been bad. There could have been some confusion. And there was no jello, so they couldn't be sure. Yeah. In the mid-1950s, ufologist Albert K. Bender was about to unveil a paper that was supposedly going to reveal that the U.S. government had, to one degree or another, covered up proof of UFOs. He planned on publishing his findings in the Space Review. That was until he was visited by men in dark suits again, who threatened and warned him not to continue investigating UFOs, Bender claimed. These men visited him in his house and commuted with him telepathically. He received a metal disc from them and instruction. Would that be a DVD? <laughs> he reported that he felt like he was being transported. These men apparently shared insights in their nature of UFOs. These men shared the origins of UFOs with Bender. That seems like the same sentence said twice, but in different ways. <laughs> But that just seems to me counterintuitive. They're like, hey, don't talk about your experience with UFOs, but also don't talk about these secrets I'm about to disclose to you. To make sure you keep the secret, I'm going to give you <laughs> yeah. more secrets. I'm going to give you better secrets. That secret's not even good. It's kind of like <laughs> if you don't want somebody to spill the beans on a secret you're telling them, you make them give you shit on them. You need to know. Yeah, you need to know exactly. a secret. So that's maybe he did yeah. this in a backward sort of way. <laughs> 
And maybe that's the paranormal thing where you're like, wow, that's not a human thing to do. What an alien. <laughs> Must be from another planet. He's confused. Again, don't judge. He might just have been having a hard brain day and his brain wasn't working right. <laughs> it was a hard day at the office. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> he was feeling overworked for the company that's not paying him. Thinking about where rent's gonna come from. Yeah, exactly. And better things to think about. So afterwards, Bender became really ill and didn't eat for three days. As a result of the visitation, Bender felt encouraged to share what he had seen with other UFO investigators, but was refused. Bender suffered frequent headaches after the three men visited him and his co-workers reported that he seemed scared. His experiences were recorded in, again, we already heard about this poorly named book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers by Gray Barker. There he is again. Who was Bender's IFSB associate? No idea what those letters mean at all. And we're not going to find out. Bender's experience formed The Legend of the Men in Black. Bender did not speak of the event for nine years. And in 1962, Bender wrote Flying Saucers and the Three Men to tell his own story. Very straight to the point. In the book, Bender recounts that the men in black were from another planet. Barker published his book, but there is speculation that Bender's experience was only a dream and Bender went on to manage a motel in California. I always got the good stories, guys, so let's move on from that. <laughs> we need to stop at this point and Chelsea, did you actually Google IFSB? Oh, certainly did not. You're certain that she was not his Islamic Financial Service Board member? <laughs> I cannot confirm that I did not know that. Okay. Or that they are not that to him. That just adds another hole to go down for the rabbit hole. It does. It does. So let's get off that guy. He's now managing a motel or something. And that's not where what we're interested in. And still alive. Like that dog. Yeah, exactly. It's only happy stories on this episode. Toledo, Ohio, 1956. Robert Richardson is the subject of this one. Robert Richardson was driving along, minding his own business, supposedly, at least, how the story goes. I have my doubts. And a fucking UFO comes out of nowhere, and he hits it. guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, so he just hits it. <laughs> On impact, it vanishes, however, not without a trace. Rather, leaving behind a small chunk of metal because that's what was left of the wreck. So Richardson takes it with him to wherever he goes after. A week later, Richardson is visited by two men in black suits and they ask for the metal, to which Richardson said he turned it over for testing. These men were pissed. They told him, quote, if you want your wife to stay as pretty as she is, then you'd better get the metal back, end quote. That is such a weird threat. <laughs> It is. So that was the only encounter he had ever had with them. He has no idea who they were and how they knew about the metal. And if I was having doubts about if somebody knew about the metal I had, I probably would have been like, what metal? Because a week later, I probably would have forgotten all about the metal, first of all. God, you're like one of those eight-year-olds they send back in time. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I can't, what metal? <laughs> I think my dad has it. <laughs> I left it at school. So that is an encounter that happened to Robert Richards. Short, short and sweet. He's, I don't know, not owning a motel in California at this point. So there's that. Next, John Keel. Briefly, you guys, I'm sorry. We haven't even talked about John Keel yet. We will in the future. 
a long time ago and then not for a while. Yeah. <laughs> he writes about the Men in Black and the Mothman prophecies is mostly where the Men in Black encounters come from because I've done quite a few episodes on the Mothman at this point that in Chicago and not once did Men in Black come up. No, and most famously not where John Keel looked at the Mothman either. Yeah, so I would say they're pretty much exclusively tied to John Keel's Mothman encounters. He refers to the men in black as demonic supernaturals, dark skin and or exotic facial features. And he popularizes the term MIB. While this stuff is happening, while we get our crappy origin story and stuff like that, there's sightings, John Keel kind of brings that into pop culture? No, I don't think that's the word I'm looking for. The zeitgeist. Yeah, in the popularity within the UFO field. The mainstream. That's a fucking weird fear. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, the mainstream. Do I want to talk more about John Keel? No, that's it. None of this is really relevant. Enough about Keel. Let's take a moment to talk about someone much more interesting and accurate, as predicted by Taylor. (laughs) I just love Dan Aykroyd when you actually listen to him talk. He's not particularly interesting. (laughs) I don't think he really adds anything. Have you watched any of those interviews that he does? They're they're not good. Also, just famously, Dan Aykroyd is very much so in the paranormal community. Wrote Ghostbusters is basically based off of his research into the paranormal. Yeah, so that's one of the things that I put in here. Oh, go ahead then. Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah, but basically what Taylor's saying, he did co-write the Ghostbusters as a result of his interest in the paranormal. He's also super interested in the paranormal. And I did not know this. He's an official Hollywood representative of MUFON. Do you know that? No. Oh, neither did I. I know. We're learning new things about Dan Aykroyd. I'm just going with the assumption that everybody knows who Dan Aykroyd is, and I'm not explaining shit. (laughs) Anyway, maybe he would be a good guy to do a full episode on one day. Whether or not he's good at interviews, this episode is just about the MIB experience he had. Well, not this episode, just this part. Dan Aykroyd has actually produced a handful of paranormal UFO TV shows and movies that differ from the Ghostbusters. Their actual accounts of how they, quote, are already among us, including PSI Factor, Chronicles of the Paranormal, and Dan Aykroyd Unplugged on UFOs. So here's how the story goes. He's really cool. His family has roots really far back in like the occult. I was reading about him. That's why I think he'd be a good person to have an episode on. In 2002, Aykroyd was signed on as the executive producer and host of a show called Out There with Dan Aykroyd in the early 2000s. The show would feature interviews with famous UFO experts and stories highlighting extraterrestrial interactions, things like alien abductions, cattle mutilations, and crop circles. Out There was greenlit by the Sci-Fi Channel, and the production team filmed eight episodes. A whole eight of them. According to Aykroyd, the network pulled the show at the last minute. Aykroyd received the news of the show's cancellation as they were filming the last bits for the final episode of the season. Suspicion abounds among the UFO community and online forums because not only was the show cancelled without explanation, the episodes have never been released on DVD and they have never been made available to be seen by the public. Because the show was owned by Sci-Fi, Aykroyd was not allowed to release the episodes himself. 
Now, here's where it gets weirder. Aykroyd recounts while taking a break during the taping of the final episode of Out There, he went outside to smoke a cigarette on the street. While he was out, alleges that a black Ford sedan was parked across the street. In the car were two incredibly tall, angry, blank-faced men staring at him. I don't know how you would identify that they're angry with a blank face, but here we are. You just know it. So, Dan Aykroyd was on the phone at the time, and according to his version of the events, he looked away for less than a second, and when he looked back at the sedan, the men had vanished. Ackroy claims he would have had to see the car drive past him to leave because they were on a one-way street in the middle of New York City. After he re-entered the building to resume shooting, Ackroy received the news within a couple of hours of the show's cancellation and he was told to stop filming immediately. Spooky. That's Dan Ackroyd's encounter with the Men in Black. It's probably the most detailed one we have yet. But he really had like no actual interaction with No, them. not at all. It was all just like secondhand and he vaguely saw some people that looked weird. I mean... We all see people that look weird all the time and act weird. So next one is Dr. Herbert Hopkins. He was working as a consultant on a UFO case in Maine. One evening, he received a phone call from someone purporting to be an activist in the UFO community, asking him if he was alone and if he could visit Hopkins to discuss the case. Only minutes later, the man arrived, like freakishly fast. Like he cut, he hung up the phone and then- Like he, he was went just outside the, the office, yeah. And he was there. Oh, that hears me out. To be fair, I, I might do that. Just conversation you don't want your face attached to. So you call them beforehand. And they're like, true. okay, good. Okay, good. I'm standing outside. But it'd be awkward if I told you that. So I'm just going to show up and not mention it. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you're at home. Or else I look like an idiot because I'm already here at your front door. The man was wearing a black suit and a black tie and had very unusual facial appearances with no hair, eyelashes, or eyebrows. So the poor guy had alopecia. And didn't want to be seen in public, so he wanted to call ahead. Yeah, <laughs> poor guy. So it was extremely pale, like a doll, and his lips were ruby red. So super weird looking. I would find that super probably weird as well. No hair or anything, but like red <laughs> lips. The image in my mind is actually pretty funny. His speech was expressionless and monotone, like a robot. Upkin's dog began barking erratically the minute the man entered the home. After the bizarre visitor was finished questioning him about the UFO case, the visit got even stranger. Here's how it went according to the website The Night Sky. Here we go. Man in Black informed Hopkins that there were two coins in Hopkins' pocket, which was correct says and asked him to remove one upkins complied and held the coin a shiny new penny in the palm of his hand the mib told hopkins to watch the coin closely after a few moments the coin took on a silvery appearance and then appeared to be going out of focus it then began to fade in and out eventually disappearing altogether the mib informed hopkins that the coin would never be seen on this plane again so there you have it they're also thieves Mind thieves. I then inquired as to whether Hopkins was familiar with alleged UFO abductee Barney Hill. Hopkins replied that he has heard of Hill, but was under the impression that he had died in the not-too-distant past. The MIB informed Hopkins that that was correct. Quote, Barney didn't have a heart, end quote, said the MIB. 
Requote. It's like you no longer have a coin, end quote. It should be noted that Barney Hill actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage. MIB then gently suggested that Hopkins destroy any material that he had related to the UFO case. So that's a lot to unpack right there. Yeah. He's making up lies about Barney Hill. Hopkins, extremely shaken by the encounter, followed the advice of the man and burned all the files he had related to the case. <laughs> oh, that is he extreme. Did. I feel like if I was scared enough, I would just pack them up and put them like in another room. Seems extreme. So while he had repeated phone troubles after the experience, this this sounds like a guy who knew how to burn documents fast. Yeah, you gotta know how. Oh, when fuck, you're it's doable. just like my last case. <laughs> yeah. He had no UFO files left. Yeah. He was horrible at his job. The MIB then gently suggested he had no other options but to become an MIB. He just wrote security on a white card. Despite the fact they don't pay. Yeah. So the phone company said his line had been tampered with and he never saw the man again. So that's like a super weird encounter. Again, I mean, none of these are really normal encounters. Again, they might be having tough days. Who are we to judge? Paul Miller was returning home after a hunting trip when they saw a luminous disc in the sky. This landed in an empty field and two humanoids emerged from the craft. Miller fired his gun at them. I always get a kick out of people who do this and believed to have injured one. It's so amazing. Like, it's at least 10% of the population's like, so anyways, I'm going to shoot because I don't know if it's safe or not. Shoot first, ask questions later, I believe is how that goes. He believed to have injured one of them when he fled down a rural road in his car. However, in that moment, he realized he had lost time as he was fleeing, I guess is what that refers to. It was almost three hours later than when he first encountered the craft. He shrugged it off and went back to his Air Force job the next day. I would chalk it up to shooting way more than you thought you were. Yeah. (laughs) You were just having so much fun. Yeah. For three more hours. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It happens. So he goes back to his Air Force job. However, upon entering work, he was immediately confronted by three men in black suits. They told him that they had his file, despite having told nobody about the event. The men said they knew all about it and mentioned that the encounter would be best forgotten. It did go on Paul for three says, hours. So. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's... We've heard that you love yeah. to do this, Paul. Yeah, you, you, you need to room. stop. We're going to stop people from talking about it. Just you move on with your life. Time. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what Paul says. They seem to know everything about me. How long I shot for, where I worked, my name, everything else. <laughs> they also ask questions about his experiences as if they already knew the answers. Miller, terrified, did not come forward about his experience until years so, later. Sorry, like, what does that mean? They ask questions like, so... You're an asshole, right? Yeah. We know you are. We know you are because you shot for three hours. Yeah. You keep losing time (laughs) shooting for so long. You kind of seem like an asshole. That's just a short little one. This one's more well known. I believe I've heard about, you've probably heard about this one too as well. This is one of the first pictures of Eva MIB. Oh, is it in the hotel? 
No, I'm gonna talk about that when you keep spoiling my topics. I know a lot about I'm the gonna... Men in Black. Okay, I'm gonna describe it to you. So it's just this guy in New York, like, standing in a little inlet, wearing a top hat. Oh, I haven't <laughs> seen this one. Really? So this is the first Man in Black captured on film. If you've heard any story, this is a really famous Men in Black story. UFO researcher Jack Robinson and his wife Mary began to experience extremely strange events as they pursued more alien and UFO related research. They would come home to find their house rummaged through, rummaged and looked through, and their UFO files disturbed. Mary also began to notice a strange man in a black suit and hat staring up at their apartment from the doorway. Mary mentioned this activity to a friend, the activity being window watching men looking into their apartment. I don't know. So the friend drove over. He was interested. He was like, okay, I got to see this activity. I'm going to partake in it as well. He drove over and saw what she was talking about for himself after the couple had noticed the man in black three days in a row. Friend... Tim Green Beckley snapped a photo, which is the one that you saw, I'll post it to the socials, is believed to have been one of the most ironclad pieces of proof of the men in black. I mean, this guy does look like he's wearing a top hat. Yeah, that and... I didn't think they'd be that fancy. I don't think they are. And also, like, outside of their (laughs) description of the photo... Sorry, I assume we're looking at the same photo. It's a guy kind of standing behind a pillar and kind of... It looks like underneath an awning, like it might be raining outside or just hiding, kind of. Yeah. Either or. Like staring out into space a little bit? Not necessarily out of space, like he's waiting for a car. Okay. That's the same look. <laughs> I mean, pre-smartphone, that's what you would look like looking for a car that's come and pick you up. That's true. That's true. Yeah, so that's the story behind this picture. I wouldn't say he looks out of the ordinary or out of place or threatening or menacing. Well, the problem is you don't know anything around him, so you can't say if it's out of the ordinary. Like, it could be a slum area, but... And he's definitely not looking up into any apartments. No. I can tell. Yeah, that's a Men in Black photograph. It is unfortunate that they're the only ones who can give reference to this photo or um, place it It to where it is to give it anything that um, might make it part of the MIB. Yeah, nothing at all does that. Sorry, why is it not shortened to MIB? John Keel is all I can say. Okay. You can thank fucking John Keel for that. Fucking John Keel. Yeah. Um, MIB is just kind of a mouthful. And Men in Black almost feels like the same amount of work, mouth-wise. MIB. No, it's less work to say MIB. It is less work, yeah. Definitely more to say MIB. Next one that you've also just alluded to. (laughs) Niagara Falls. October 14, 2008. I mean, you've done some nice foreshadowing with this episode. If there's one thing we're known for, it's foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing. It is. And if there's another thing we're known for, it's our catchphrases. It's true. And witty banter to take forth with you into situations in which you would like to feel less awkward and more human. Yeah, conversation starters is really what this podcast is all about. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, nobody wants to be questioned on their humanness. So (laughs) as I'm feeling for the MIB in this episode, no one likes to be made fun of when someone's feeling less human some days. So this next encounter takes place in Niagara Falls. Not sure which side, United States or Canada. It could make all the difference. Maybe it was in the falls. We don't know. It probably wasn't in the falls. There's video footage. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> Sally, yeah. 
October 14, 2008. Hotel manager Shane Sovar, an unnamed hotel security guard, reported seeing a large triangle UFO outside of the hotel. Aerial Phenomenon Investigations Team looked into this sighting. I have never heard of this organization. In fact, I think that's the first time it's ever come up in our podcast, too. It has, yeah. Uh, literally never heard of it ever. Maybe that's who the MIB are working for because they're so small they can't pay anybody. So they reported that a couple of weeks later, according to three other witnesses, that two men in black visit. This is a lot of people relaying a story. It's like telephone at this point. They say the witnesses that is, and then the, the witnesses say to the organization, then the organization tells us that two men in black visited the hotel and terrified the hotel staff and were looking for Shane and the man named hotel security guard and they were not there at the time. Upon word of this or return back to work, Shane, the hotel manager, reviewed the hotel security footage and the men appeared on the tape. Witnesses described the men as tall with black suits, black hats, identical faces, extremely pale skin, no eyebrows, eyelashes, and abnormally large eyes. A woman who spoke with the man claimed that she felt that the men knew what she was thinking. I'm gonna send you this video. What do you think of the footage? I've always found it very odd. Like, yeah, it does. Those guys do look out of place for everything going on. The things that they're saying to describe them, it is not high enough resolution to actually confirm. Like, no. they look exactly the same. They're the exact same height. Or even what they're really wearing. Like, you can see they're wearing suits. You can't confirm, like, it's identical or anything like that. You can't confirm, like, whoa, these guys are, like, super strange looking. And then, what's up with Shane that, like, the MIB would actually want to see him? And also not know where he is. I, I, that was the thing that stuck out to me the most, that they weren't there. The second thing is they had a UFO sighting. Which is Gene, why I okay. think people are making the assumption that they showed up to talk to them. And I believe... They don't actually say. Maybe he says in this interview. I'm actually going to try and download that to put the audio in. Maybe that might be better than the Dan Aykroyd one. Okay. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd, but, let's face it, it, it doesn't... I was underwhelmed by what he said as well. But that was the one thing that kind of... If they're supposed to be supernatural and have paranormal things associated with them, why didn't they know that they weren't there? That did stand out to me as well as something super strange as well. And like outside of this one, I have not heard one sighting where it's like, it turns out they were looking for my friend who hadn't seen me in a while. No, none of the ones that we talked... I mean, we have talked about a hoax. Yeah. Yeah, talked about many things. None of them were actually like showed up and they weren't there. And they're like, can you just leave a message that we stop by? No, that's my neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then like they never show up to actually talk to the guy. So it was just a missed encounter <laughs> in the end. That's the deal behind the video footage. That, I mean, it's not really that recent anymore. It's recent in my mind, but it was 2008 that that came out. Yeah, that sighting can almost drive. That's bad. <laughs> it makes me feel old. So that's that. Now... One of my favorite places to look for stories is Reddit. So I'm going to kind of, we're winding down a little bit here. I'm going to give you some Reddit sightings because I love them. That's where you go to talk to the people. <laughs> Reddit. So I'm going to share some Reddit sightings now. I have a story told by Korthus59. And they say, my elder brother was an intelligence analyst for the army. 
Anna's wife and another couple went up onto a hill near the base to observe a full moon one night, like tonight. Just a casual night out. They witnessed an amazing aerial phenomenon with a blazing blue orb conducting maneuvers that no human craft could do. Both my brother and his friend were experts in the capacities of all aircraft extant at that time in the world. Big words. After observing the event for some time, the light suddenly stopped and held a stationary position in the sky. All in the car had the certain feeling that it was noting their observations. Then it seemed to surge towards their position, looming large. All the above was happening around 10 p.m. at night. The next thing they knew, it was 4 a.m. in the morning and their car was 100 miles east of their base. It was also sitting exactly in the middle of a harvested wheat or barley field. They got out and walked all around the car. There were no tracks out in their position in the field. It was just sitting there in the middle as if it had been dropped out of the sky. A period of hysteria struck them all and they fled the scene and just kept going until they intersected the interstate. That was when they realized how far they were from the base. Some days later, men and Black visited my sister-in-law at her home and also visited the wife of my brother's friend. They did not ask any questions. They just made very ominous threats and not about not talking about what happened. Not about it or just about talking about it? Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Okay. Some years later, my brother said they had arrived at his office on base and threatened him. What really rattled him was that no one else in the complex saw them arrive or leave. And this is in a controlled access intelligence area. Even years later, my brother, a hardened Vietnam vet, would start pouring tears when speaking of coming to in the field. My sister-in-law would burst into overt weeping at the mention of the men in black, even on a television show. There are deeply paranormal undertones in these events and encounters. My brother doesn't show tears for anything, not pain, not loss. He has a thousand yard stare of the combat veteran. Light moving in the sky does not shatter him. Something very deep and profound is going on with these kinds of encounters that assaults the mind and being of those who go through them. That's the end of that sighting. An interesting one. Probably one of the most intriguing ones that we've read tonight. Yeah. If I'm being honest, that's why we go to Reddit. Reddit is a plethora of knowledge and a grab bag of good and bad. Yes, I was just going to say, sometimes you do have to sift through them. I do love Reddit because there's some really good, like you said, the good and the bad. And then on the bad, you get the good comments or you get yeah. the, the people who actually know how to analyze the stuff and ask really good questions. And, and to make it come out of, that they're full of shit. Yes. Which I appreciate. So it also helps me narrow down what, sh- what stories I'm going to share with you sometimes just by reading the comments of the good people. Next one is Rising Standing. In 2011, me and my girlfriend saw a UFO at point-blank range. Holy shit. It was 1 a.m. and we were leaving the neighborhood for food. <laughs> right across the street. There's no the next food in this neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go get some other neighborhood food. <laughs> some really oddly put together sentences. Right across the street in the next neighborhood was a UFO low and directly over a home. Where the food was, yes. <laughs> yeah. It just yes, makes sense. UFOs and food. Right across the street in the next neighborhood. Not long after that, some weird things started happening. I did not believe in MIB at the time. That's what we're calling it, my now. And I did not understand it as them until later it somehow clicked. Is this going to somehow connect together? 
I hope it does. The girl said, when I was gone at work one day, that she heard furniture moving. Who the fuck is this girl? Girlfriend? She closed the door and locked it. Later, she said she went out and it was back to normal. Even though I was very into paranormal and had had a lot of experiences, I honestly didn't believe her. I thought she was crying for attention because I was working a ton. Later, I came to see that happening. Fuck, why did I choose this story? <laughs> This looks as good as any copy-paste. I don't know how to describe the feeling of I'm not getting enough attention. I will move the furniture in the kitchen or the living room or wherever I need to and then move it back and say this happened because you are neglecting me, sir. Yeah, it's the oldest trick in the book for lack of attention. Yeah. I probably should edit out the story and just stop right here, but I'm committed now, so yeah. I gotta go through with it. Later, I came to see the happening as Mib harassment, though who knows? Anyway, one night, not long later, I awoke and there was a tall person standing in the bedroom doorway. It actually just says standing in bedroom doorway. <laughs> there is no... The I'm glad you added some context um, words. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of non-context in this story. I had no fear response, which is obviously strange two dogs in the house no response from them loaded gun on the nightstand no thought of grabbing it no response from no. <laughs> that's strange that's really strange not the dogs the gun, the gun usually, shoots. <laughs> it usually does friend asleep beside me not stirring man was tall and dressed in an old style all black long trench coat 40s style reporter hat he even had an old camera up to his face what the fuck <laughs> Because of all the anachronism, I suspect ghost encounter, not Mib. Anyway, he was using the camera. What the fuck? The giant flash bulb was. I don't think I read this story. Wait, this is one where he's like covered with like the gown of the camera? No, he just had a camera up to his face. Okay, but he has a bulb. Oh, it does have a bulb. An old camera up to his face. I don't know. The giant flash bulb was going on and off, like taking pictures of me and the girl. Why does he keep calling his girlfriend the girl? Okay, was this rope by an MIB? <laughs> Jello is delicious. <laughs> P.S. I love Jello. Do not solidify. Just, just drink. He keeps calling his girlfriend the girl. So there's no sound with this whatsoever. It was only visual. She feels mistreated. <laughs> Weird, hey? <laughs> wanted to see the face but couldn't because of the camera soon felt extremely sleepy and next thing i knew it was morning i did not tell the girlfriend what happened because i thought it was a ghost and she'd be scared and then she'd move the furniture and just we'd be in the same spot so a few mornings later when we wake up the girl seems weird i ask her what's wrong she says last night she woke up and the tall man was in our bedroom i asked why she didn't wake me and she said she felt lulled or pacified I asked what he looked like and she said tall all black old time clothes I couldn't believe it I said what was he doing she said he was just standing beside the bed looking at us I got very curious about the face because I couldn't see it when I woke up I asked what his face looked like and she said she couldn't see it she said she tried to look directly at his face vision literally kind of blurred up or clouded and when she looked back at something else her eyes refocused she said after a few moments she felt very sleepy and here we were 
Later, I came to realize this was MIB harassment. I think they can track UFO activity. I think they came to see what was up with us after our UFO encounter. Maybe they want to study why certain people have UFOs around. I think it's possible they dress weird to give people an untellable story. Wow. 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 <laughs> I don't story. even know what to say about that. So that's about this guy and the girl that's about it i mean that was the last encounter i have i'm kind of happy you included that one just because it was (laughs) both so wild (laughs) on like his treatment of his relationship and second off just like how the actual interaction took place yeah do you think he's telling the truth no fucking idea do you think the girl exists no not when you switch between girlfriend and the girl so readily do i think that the girl exists yeah that's fair yeah i'm glad i included that as well i was gonna include a few explanations we are over an hour at this point so we're probably at this point good unless you only have like five minutes i was just thinking like what do you think they are honestly they're more than likely something that was made up right from the start the evidence is there that it was made up right from the start yeah However, I can see somebody who would want to intimidate somebody from making a story about it, knowing about the MIB's ideas, being able to intimidate somebody into changing their mind about talking about something just based on the persona of the MIB later on. So I'm more so lean on the made up thing though. Yeah, I always come away disappointed when I look at things like this. Yeah. Unfortunately. Other than Mothman hasn't let me down. No. Actually, there's a few things that haven't, but. When we look at tangible things, it's usually be prepared for disappointment. Yeah. And we haven't done an episode on black eyed kids, but they kind of in their demeanor and how they're supposed to act kind of remind me of black eyed kids. It's almost Almost like the blackness moves the suit when they grow up. Oh, good point. Good point. But yeah, that's Men in Black. What a roller coaster as always. And disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is a good time to remind you to always keep some microwaved jello with a ballpoint pen within just ready in the refrigerator just in case. Just in case. Of course. Why wouldn't you at this point? I have been Taylor here with Chelsea. We are Journey to the Fringe. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode. Uh